If you would uh, take your Bibles and open with me in a hard copy or on your mobile device to Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue to look at what it means to walk in the new path that we are called to walk in as followers of Christ. Before we look at the new path that we're to walk in this morning, I want us to go back and remember again, I'm not going to grow tired of reminding you, we walk in the way that we walk because of what God has done for us, because of who we are. So Ephesians 1 through 3, the first three chapters emphasized who we are in Christ. It declared that we're alive from the dead, we're blessed abundantly, we're loved perfectly, we're strengthened supernaturally, and we are made ministers of God. So if you have placed faith in Jesus to be your sin bearer, that's you right there. Alive from the dead. Yes? (laughs) Good. Did you sing like you were alive from the dead this morning? Yeah, we're alive from the dead. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Loved perfectly. Could God love us more? No. He has loved us fully and completely in Christ and strengthened us supernaturally by pouring the Spirit into our hearts so that we would be ministers of God. Because that's true, he says, here's how chapters four and five of Ephesians, I want you to walk. First, I want you to walk in unity through humility. If there is brokenness in a relationship in your life, the first thing you should ask yourself, where's pride? Because humility will always bring unity. So marriage vice 101. If there's brokenness, don't look for the arrogance in your spouse. Go look in the mirror and go, where's the pride? Because where there's pride, there'll be brokenness. Walk in unity through humility. Walk in service in the body of Christ. Can I tell you something happy about this morning? I'm happy that right here to my right, our nursery director, Mary, is in worship. Do you know why I'm happy that she's in worship? Because there are people in the nursery serving so that she can actually be in here. She often has to miss worship. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but sometimes staff members have to miss worship. They don't get to come to the church that they work at because people aren't volunteering. So I am really grateful that her presence in worship, what what that represents. So can I give, because we asked for lots of weeks, folks who would serve in our children and youth. Anybody in here? who serves in children and youth, whether junior high, senior high, anybody in here serving in that way? Oh, wow. Okay, go ahead, stand up. And if you're north, go ahead, stand up. You're like, oh, really? Yeah, I suckered you into it. You stand up. Oh, now you can stand up. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Seriously. (laughs) Don't don't sit down yet. Don't don't sit down yet. Uh, Here's why I'm grateful. We have the privilege of being a part of not only what God is doing in this generation, but you are sharing in what God will do in the next generation as you equip our children and our youth to walk with the Lord, to love the Lord, and to be the salt of the earth, as we just declared. So, really grateful for you. Uh, Can we pray for them? Lord, thank you so much for men and women who stay an extra hour or come back an extra night for the sake of the gospel and faith among our next generation. Thank you 
that they are pouring themselves out unto you, Lord, for the sake of faith. I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for their sacrifice. And Lord, I pray that you would make them fruitful in every good work, that our children and our youth would love you and walk with you and be salt and light, not only in this generation, but in the next. To the praise of your glory, we give you great thanks in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so thanks so much. And for everybody who is serving, really, really grateful. It's how we walk. And, and, and so, quite frankly, if you're a follower of God, if you're alive from the dead, and you've been strengthened supernaturally, and you're not walking in service, this is a, a loving admonishment. You should. You should. So go on to our, our, our website and just look where are places to serve. See if C. Jack's Backslash service, and you can see how you can serve. Third, we are to walk in growing maturity like Christ. It's what we just declared in song, that all the fullness of Christ is in us, that all the fullness of Christ would be expressed through us. Anybody mature? No, we're growing in maturity. And... That growing in maturity involves beginning to walk new paths. And so a couple weeks ago, we used this three-dresser drawer to remind us of how we walk in new paths. In other words, Scripture says for us to walk in new ways, we're going to have to first lay aside old stuff. In other words, if you think about getting dressed every day, there's stuff that for your entire life, before you came to Christ, you put on. And what the scripture talks about was three of them. You put immorality, impurity, and greediness on. And he says, lay that aside and renew your mind. Think new thoughts because we do what we do because we think what we think. Think new thoughts. And when you think new thoughts, then put on new stuff. So the application last week, Tony taught, he said, if we're going to walk in new paths, the first new path is walk in new words. And Ephesians chapter four, the section they taught about, he said, what words do we need to lay aside? Unwholesome words, lying words. That's what you were about to say. You just couldn't quite bring it to memory. It's right there in Ephesians 4. Put aside lying words, malicious words, gossiping words. Lay those things aside. You used to put that stuff on. Don't put it on. Renew your mind. Think new thoughts so that you will speak new words. Not lying words, truthful words. Not gossip, malicious words, but edifying words. Words that the picture, if you missed it, was words that would put it on the T for folks so that they could please the Lord. So that's the picture. We lay aside, we think new thoughts, we put on new thoughts and new actions, new paths. And so that theme continues in what we're going to look at this morning. In the middle of all these old words to put off and new words to put on was verse 28 that didn't seem to fit in the midst of it. So we're going to come back and look at verse 28 because we skipped it last week. Ephesians 4.28, here's our text for this morning. He who steals must steal no longer. In other words, do what? Bottom drawer, lay it aside. But rather, he must labor. Top drawer, put it on, labor. Why? Performing his own work with his own hands, what is, say it, what is good. 
so that he'll have something to share with one who has need. So the first thing in this verse is he says, lay aside stealing. If you have stolen something in your life, put your hand up. Everybody go ahead and put your hand up. Every single person, whether it's been a cookie or something much more significant or something a little more intangible like minutes from your boss, every single one of us have stolen stuff, right? Lay it aside. But as you lay it aside, ask yourself this question. Why'd you steal it? Ever ask yourself, well, I don't steal. Mm, careful before you come to that conclusion too quickly. Why do you steal? Well, there's a number of reasons we steal. Sometimes it's more appealing than work, right? We have some young men recently in our neighborhood who decided it was easier to come to our street at night and take things out of people's vehicles than it was easier to go to work during the day. It was their job to steal at night. Sometimes it's just more appealing than work. Sometimes it's to meet a need. And if you're meeting a need, stealing's okay. No. No. We can sometimes justify it. We feel better about it. But it doesn't say steal, stop stealing unless you need it. It says those of you who are stealing, stop it. And sometimes just get a want. See, I just want something. I see it, and I'll, I'll take that. Uh, or to conserve what I have. Why use my hard-earned money on if I could just take it? You, you see what I'm saying? Conserve what I have, get what I want. And again, what I want may be an object or it may be something a little less than an object. It may be, no, I want a reputation. I want an image. I want to be smarter than I actually am, so I steal an answer. Or I want to look more successful than I actually am, so I do steal an object. For the thrill. Wish it wasn't true, but before I came to Christ, I stole for the thrill. Could I get away with it? If I couldn't, could I run fast enough to get away from those who couldn't? It was for a thrill. And some people, lots of rich people steal. Not because they need it, not because they couldn't buy it. Just can they get away with it? Or if you're Robin Hood, to give to others. And again, it can be a justifying. Well, and this to give to others, this may sound stupid, but this, this could very well be true for somebody in this room. If you think, ah, I fudge on my taxes so I can give more, stop it. That is not justifying. It's not pleasing to the Lord to steal so that you could give more. And if you think, well, it's the government, they're never gonna miss it. Or you work for a big company, I mean, billions of dollars. Well, it's a couple hundred. Is it justifying? 
Scripture is just very clear. Lay it aside. But we do what we do because we think what we think. So you might think, well, it's okay. Or I needed it. Or it may come from a heart of greediness. Or a heart of coveting. Or a heart of envy, of jealousy. You're jealous of what other people have and you can't get it unless you steal it. So you steal, not because you think it's right, but because your heart drives what you think, which drives what you do. You see what I'm saying? This may seem really obvious, stop stealing, but we have to ask where does it come from? And not only lay aside the action, but we lay aside the thought, we lay aside the heart that drives it. So that's why we steal. Uh, Why should we stop? Regardless of the reason, if we're a child of God, when we're born again, why should stealing no longer be part of our life? Well, uh, obviously, God says stop. Eighth commandment here in Ephesians 4. Thieves need to stop stealing. Uh, Second, stealing is inconsistent with our calling. And specifically what I mean is who we are in Christ, richly blessed. Stop stealing, you're richly blessed. Stop stealing, you're fully loved. Stop stealing, you're ministers. See, this is where faulty thinking can actually really undermine us. People steal from their companies all the time in reality. But the truth is, if a pastor in town steals from the church, it makes the news. Correct? Correct? Okay, why? Because they're ministers, and ministers shouldn't steal. I agree. Stop stealing. Because are we all ministers? Yeah. This is why the renewing of our mind really makes a difference. If you have always thought that is horrible for a pastor to steal from his church, but you have justified your stealing In your particular situation, it's because you have not thought accurately, I'm a minister as much as a pastor is a minister. And it's as profaning to the name of God when I steal as a pastor steals. Because we are all ministers of God. So, it's inconsistent with our calling. And third, it profanes The name of God is a faithful provider. See, when as children of God we steal, it's as if, God, (laughs) I can't trust you, or I'm not happy with what you've chosen, so I'm going to get what I want. It's a lack of contentment. This is why the Proverbs 30 declares, give me neither poverty nor riches. Few of us would actually say this. Lord, don't, don't give me poverty, but I'll take some riches. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that's my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? Which is the temptation of all of us who have more than what we need. Why do I need the Lord? I have what I need. So Lord, don't make me rich, but Lord, don't make me poor. Why? Because stealing profanes the name of God. It's as if God is not a faithful provider. It's as if God is not a good father. It's as if God does not 
meet our needs, as if we can't be content with what he has chosen for us. So we're going to move on. But if in any area in your life you're stealing, whether it's an object or money or less physical objects, if you're stealing, stop. It's not consistent. But the scripture doesn't stop there. Oh, sorry. One more. Stealing steals, but the object, and this is the overflow of the scripture that I want us to look at again. It steals the object, but it's just not the object. It's the opportunity that that person has to use what you stole them from them to provide and share. You understand what I mean? See, when someone works, that's God blessing them to be able to provide and share. When you steal, you're not only stealing the object, you're stealing their opportunity as well. All right. But this text says more than stop stealing. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. See, we don't steal simply because stealing profanes God. Stealing says something about work that's different than what the scripture says about labor. What's the scripture say about labor and work? That, that our mind must be renewed, that work is good. Do you think work is good? You do? So none of you are working hard to get out of work. Well, I didn't say it was that good. I really want us to think about this whole mentality that I'm gonna work hard in my life so that as soon as possible I can get out of work. Now I say it that way because when I was a kid my stepdad used to say, Doug, you work harder getting out of work than work. It's just the American way. You understand what I mean? What's the dream, the American dream? Retire early. In other words, stop working as soon as you can because work is good. That doesn't even make sense. We say, yeah, work's good, and yet we're trying to work to get out of work. We need, if we're going to walk in new paths, I, I really want us to consider, do we agree with God about work? That it really is good. See, why does God want us to work so we don't steal? No. I mean, yes, a little bit. But that's not really the heart of why he doesn't, why he wants us to work. Not so that we won't steal, but because work is good. Work is a reflection of our creation in the image of God. The fact that you and I get to work, not have to work, that you and I get to work is because of the way God created us. God said, let us make man in our image. Not, none of the rest of creation, not the animal kingdom, man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule. 
you understand that our role and responsibility of caring, ruling over the earth is an extension that you and I were created in the image of God. And when we work, we reflect God because God works. Does God work? Yes, he works. And so when you and I work, we... Think of it this way. Maybe in your job, you create something. That's a reflection of God's image because God is a creator. Maybe in your job, you sustain, you maintain something. That's a reflection of God because God is a sustainer. Maybe you order things, you organize things. You go, ah, it's so menial. Really? Look at the order that God made in this earth and go, when I get to put order into chaos, I get to be like God. That's awesome. For unorganized people, that's awesome. (laughs) Really, never ever If you're a creator, a sustainer, a supplier, an inventor, a maintainer, an organizer, a leader, that's the image of God. And when you get to do it, it's good. It's a whole farce that somehow what I do is sacred and what you do is not. Just not true. What makes work sacred is who we do it for and how we do it, not what we do. Unless, of course, it's illegal. Then that's not sacred. (laughs) But if you do something legal, it's good because it's a reflection of God. He works. And when you work to provide, you look like God because God works to provide. You think, oh, man, all I do is pay the bills. That's God glorifying. God pays the bills, does he not? I love that. God pays the bills. And he works to provide for us. And when you work to provide, you're reflecting his image. And God shares. Which, as we'll see, is one of the reasons, the primary reason in this text, that we work. God shares. And when we work, And it allows us to share. We get to reflect the image of God. I genuinely hope with a renewed mind, you'll get up tomorrow, whatever you do. Even if it's get up to stay home to work. That you'll do it with the joyful recognition and thought. This is me reflecting God. This is good. I am privileged to work. The goal of life is not to get out of work because that mentality thinks with the thought work is necessary, but it's not good. Because if we believed it was good, we wouldn't be trying to get out of it. That's just bottom line. So I love the fact that God declares in this text, it's good. Work was assigned to Adam in a perfect world. Why does he want us to work? Because when everything was perfect on the planet, Adam worked. 
The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden even Eden to cultivate it and keep it. I needed this verse as a kid because I grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and we had a garden in our backyard half the size of this South Auditorium. And I hated that sucker. Because it, it required work every day. And my mom, she loves the garden. We had peas and green beans and field corn and tomatoes. And she'd be up with the sun. Oh, and she would say, kids, we're going to work till noon. You can have the afternoon off, but every day in the summer, we're going to work till noon. And shelling lima beans. I couldn't believe it when I found out later in life that they had machines that did that sort of thing. It's like, what? Why didn't we have one of those? I had no concept, and maybe you don't either. I had no concept that I was getting to do what God gave to Adam prior to sin. That is not the way I saw it. We need our mind renewed. God gave work to Adam before sin existed. What happened after he sinned? Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I command you, saying, you shall not eat. Because you did that now, watch, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it. So that which you were cultivating and planting and enjoying, you still will. But in toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. Yes. It shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You'll eat bread till you return to the ground. Sin brought toil, not work. Did you see it? Sin did not bring work. God gave work in a perfect world. The toil that we experience, the fact that when I work and it requires, when I try to repair something, because God repairs, right? God repairs, God heals. And so when I try to repair something and it takes me four trips to Lowe's, and you're like so frustrated when you're driving back again, and the person checking you out goes, didn't I see you earlier? Yes. (laughs) When it's harder, when it's almost always harder than you think it's gonna be, don't confuse that work is bad. Work's good. Repair is a privilege of being image of God. It's the toil. It's the thorns and the thistles that reminds us, ah, sin broke that which God made good. And I know it's good because the last book of the Bible, see, the first book starts with work is good, and it ends with work is good. There will no longer be any curse in the throne of God, and the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will Serve him. We will work in the new heaven, the new earth, forever and ever. We'll serve him. They'll see his face and his name will be in their foreheads. And there will no longer be any night. And they will not have any need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun. Why? Because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. See, a renewed mind says, I'm not trying to work to get out of work. Work is good. It's the way we were created, and it's the way we're going to live forever. Working, serving, being productive, being 
in the image of God, created to reflect him. We will work in heaven, and heaven has only good. We'll work in heaven, whoops, and heaven has only good. So you, you, you get the picture? Lay aside laziness. Lay aside love of comfort. Lay aside greed. Lay aside uh, coveting and envy, the stuff that causes you to steal and, and not work. Renew your mind. Work is good. Work is a privilege. Work is being like God. And put on your work gloves. Put on your work gloves. See it and engage in it. Work. See it as an opportunity to reflect God on this planet. See it as an opportunity to provide. And he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to to share with one who has need. I love this. That, that what we put on is not only work, but what else? Generosity. Think. Think. When I think work is good, it's not only good because it reflects who God is, and it's not only, be good, only good because it allows me to provide for myself. Work is good because it provides, it reflects God, and it gives me something to share, to be able to help others. That is one of the great reasons we get to go to work. So question, why should you share if everyone is to work and provide for themselves? If everybody did this, then why would I need to share? Because there would be no need. That's an honest question, right? If everybody obeyed verse 28, there wouldn't be any need to share, correct? No, come on, not correct. Why? Some people can't work. Some people can't work, either for a, short period of time or for a point in season in their life, this is the whole issue of why we care for our elderly parents who can no longer potentially provide for themselves. Not all can work. And so we share by our working with those who can't work or who have need that exceeds what they can make. I don't know if you know this or not, but the vast majority of verses in the New Testament that talk about sharing actually don't talk about sharing with the church in terms of the body as a whole. The vast majorities in the New Testament that talk about sharing are about taking care of other believers who could not provide for themselves because of persecution by unbelievers. They had lost their jobs. Their jobs had been taken away from them or their property and their resources had been seized by people who hated Christians and they were left destitute. And the church provided for one another by people who had still a job and had what they needed and had extra shared with those who didn't. 
That day may be coming. And I want us to have a renewed mind and an understanding that Christians take care of one another. That's why we started our radiosity a few years ago. If you're not sure what that means, we said the Bible teaches it requires a readiness to be generous. And so we said we have no idea what the coming year is going to hold in terms of need. But would you make us ready to be generous, to help? And we put a Christmas tree a couple years ago out in the foyer. I don't know if you remember this. And said, would you help us be ready for the coming year? And you put $63,000 in white envelopes on that tree. And we have given tens of thousands of dollars to people in this body and in this community who either couldn't work or had need that exceeded what they could at the time. I love it. Because that is the heart of the New Testament of sharing. Of those who have more than what they need because of their willingness to work. Sharing with those at that point who can't. So we continue to have a readiosity fund to be able to share like the New Testament describes sharing. Which leads then to this very practical question, are there times you should not share with those in need? You understand the question. Is there ever a time where someone's in need and you go, no, I'm not going to help? Bible answers this very specifically. 2 Thessalonians 3, when we were with you, Paul says, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. Woo. Now, why can't they eat? Because they're not working. And he says, if they can work and they're not working, they shouldn't eat by your Sharing with them. If they don't work and they could work, we don't share. Someone who can work but refuses to work. You say, that seems so rude. Where's your compassion? It is actually unloving. And an undermining of what God says about work. When we give to those who can work but don't work. So, we don't share with those in need. If they can work but refuse to. Now, such persons, here's what's loving. We command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ, work, get a job, in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. In other words, work so that you have enough to provide for yourself. Some people who can work do work, but then they take the resources that they have from the work and they misuse them. Someone has sufficient means to meet their needs, but continually misuses those resources. Then the scripture is clear. We don't share there because that would be undermining what is important in their own life of what they're to lay aside, what they're to think about work and what they're to put on. So we do not undermine what needs to happen in a person's life by sharing. 
Now, I don't want to end this with don't share. Not because that doesn't feel very good, because that's not where the passage ends. I just read to you from 2 Thessalonians 3, but here's the next verse. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Now, what's he talking about? Grow weary of doing, grow weary of what, what good? Don't grow weary, brothers, of work. He's not talking about sharing here. He's just said people need to work to provide for themselves. And in fact, if they don't, don't share. But you who are working, hey, this is going to be increasingly true in this culture. Listen, we who work need to not grow weary of doing work. It's honoring to the God and it believes work is good. How is it that we have help wanted signs everywhere and unemployment through the roof? See, the Bible speaks to these things. So I'm telling us, church, don't grow weary of doing good. You may think, oh, no, other people aren't working. Why am I keep working? Why am I busting my butt? Why am I getting up early? Why am I working hard? Why don't I just collect a check? Tell you why. Because that's not what God says about work. And what he says to us as a church is, don't grow weary of doing good. And the good he's talking about is work. Don't grow weary of doing good because what? so that you'll have something to share. You see, I can honestly acknowledge to you that I think for a long time I missed, actually until this time in preparing for studying this passage, I always saw, yes, don't steal, I always saw we ought to work, but I think I missed the overarching motive for work here is not simply to provide for me. It's actually in this text, the overarching point of work is so I can, can share. See, that changes in my mentality, my thought about my work now and my work in the next coming years. And my work for as long as God gives me the ability to work. If the goal is not just to provide for self, but something to share... That informs me and speaks to me pretty strongly about when do I work myself out of work? See, the mentality is I work myself out of work once I have enough for me. And we meet with advisors who go, mm, you're good. Yes! That misses the text. I hate to tell us, but that misses the text. The text says we don't just work in order to provide for ourselves. Yes, that's God glorifying. And yes, work is good. But the underlying motive of this text is that we work so that those who can't work will have their needs met by those of us who can. So that we can share. And so I want to take a few minutes and honor the Lord by saying I could not have gotten a better example of this than from my own earthly dad. Yeah. 
My dad died when he was 80. Three weeks after he turned 80. And to the day he died, he worked hard. In fact, seven years before he died, we took our family up to Pennsylvania, our, our six kids, and we, <laughs> we went to every place from where he was born to every place where he had lived. And he had lived a jillion places because he loved to buy real estate. And his mentality was, I can live in the investment and then sell it. And so uh, we moved like 11 times before I was eight years old. He would literally go to the store to get something and come home and say to my mom, hey, I bought a place. We're moving. Now, I'm not, that, that's not the example I'm commending to you. Some serious relational disunity in that moment. But, so we, but my point is, we went to all these places and we ended up in the graveyard, even though he was still alive, because he had already had made his headstone. The only thing missing was the death date. And on it, he had captured his life. Hard work, frugality, fun, philanthropy, generosity. And I didn't know until he died to what degree the generosity was the driving force for the hard work and the frugality. To my great regret, for years I thought it was rooted in a love for money. And my dad didn't love money. He loved generosity. So at 80 years old, he was still driving 5,000 miles a month. Not to play golf, not to travel, but to take Amish to work every morning. Amish in Lancaster County, hard workers, but for religious convictions, don't drive, but they're glad to ride in your car. <laughs> so he would get up at 4 o'clock every morning, drive around and pick up Amish, take them to work. On his way home, would often call me at 6.30 in the morning as if I should be halfway through my day like he was. <laughs> and then he'd drive errands in the afternoon, for hospital, doctor's visits, that sort of thing, and then pick him up from work. 5,000 miles a month. He changed his own oil every month in his garage. Not because he needed the money. So that every Friday, he could take everything he made and drive by his favorite charity, Hope International, headquartered in Lancaster, and give them everything he had made all week. And it's only in hindsight that it's really hit me. Who in the world gets up at 4 o'clock every morning to a, do a job that they don't need money for? Rain, shine, slow, sneak, sleep. He'd get up. To do what? to share. He went to work to share. And then he died, and my oldest brother, Jeff, was the executor, and he texted me, he said, you're not going to believe this, but I have to get 40 death certificates for dad. Because though he had told us, hey, don't expect uh, any money as kids, he told us, don't expect any money, because I've never believed that People benefit from being given 
sums of money. He had given, he had taken 27 of his favorite charities and given $100,000 to each one of them. And over $2 million to his favorite. And he still drove $5,000, 5,000 miles every month to be able to sh- share more. Now he would, <laughs> I was going to say he would die, but he's already dead. Um, <laughs> I would never get my dad on a stage and he would never talk in a microphone and he would not be happy with me telling him you this. But I want to I acknowledge there's a way to live, to walk in Ephesians 4.28 that says, I work hard in order to share. See, I always knew he was frugal. Not only with his money, but mine. We drove up there for his 80, to celebrate his 80th birthday. So grateful the Lord prompted me. I didn't know, obviously, he was going to die. He wasn't sick. But we went up. I said, Dad, let me take you wherever you want to go. Buy you whatever you want for your birthday. And he said, great. I want you to go to Pizza Hut and get me a veggie pizza. And then go to McDonald's and get me a side salad. The salad's not okay from Pizza Hut? He said, no, the McDonald's side salad is a better value. I'm serious. Got a pizza from Pizza Hut and a side salad from McDonald's, and we ate his 80th birthday lunch on his front porch. Not because he was cheap. He loved to share. He was not a theologian. He would not have, you would have never thought of him as a spiritual man. But I don't know Ephesians 4.28 better. And then hard work in order to share. And this sharing, this sharing brings about so much good. Second Corinthians 9 says, this ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints. See, sharing meets needs. But it's also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. When people have their needs met by generosity of others, what do they do? Thank you, God. Because of the proof given by them, this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. In other words, he sees sharing is at the core of the gospel. And when you do it, you're obeying the Lord and you are blessing others while they also, by prayer on your behalf, The ones who have received praying for those who gave yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Maybe you heard about the the multimillionaire on his jet and his friend and then it went crashed and they're on this deserted island. The friend is freaked out and scared and he's so perplexed by his multimillionaire friend who's not. He said, how can you be so calm? And the guy said, you don't understand. I'm a multimillionaire. I tithe. 
my pastor will find me. Now, that's not exactly what the verse says, but kind of, right? People, people who have their needs met pray for the people who meet them. Isn't that what the text says? Yes. They give thanks to God and they pray. They go, man, I can't give back, but I can pray for you. Sharing brings about so much good which is why this text ends. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And his indescribable gift is the gift that you and I have to work in order to be able to share. That's the overflow of the gospel. Go to work, not to work your way out of work. Go to work because it's like God in order that you can share as much as you possibly can. It is the overflow of what we remember when we take the Lord's Supper. Because is this not, and I'm grabbing this because we're going to take the Lord's Supper as a reminder that at the core of the gospel is sharing, meeting need. If you don't have one of these, just go ahead and put your hands up. We got guys who will pass them out over north as well. And see, go ahead and see a hand right here. Thanks. One right here. Appreciate it, guys. Go ahead and, and take the top cellophane off. Then the foil off. This is not religious exercise. Did you hear me? This is not just, oh, we're supposed to do this. This is the reminder that God meets needs. You and I were dead in our sin, guilty, unable to help ourselves, and God gave. God gave his son so that we who couldn't help ourselves could be set free from guilt and slavery and be given new life with overflowing thanksgiving to God. You see it? This is the greatest expression of working to give. And so as we remember Jesus working to give on our behalf, I want you to simply bow and first tell him thank you. Let your heart overflow, as we just read in the text, with thanksgiving for his grace to you. And now would you, again, in the quietness of your heart, agree with him regarding work. It's good. And would you ask him, Lord, is there someone whose need I know 
whose need you have enabled me to meet. That you could share with. Lord, as we hold these elements, I'm just so grateful for your grace in my life, for meeting my need and going way beyond, blessing me in a manner that I get to participate in sharing. I ask, Lord, that you would grant us many years of opportunity to work hard in order to share much. Would the gospel be declared in our work, in our sharing, as we remember you, Lord Jesus, who worked on our behalf. Thank you for your grace, for forgiveness, for the privilege to be a part. Would you take in remembrance of Jesus' work? Let's stand and declare our thanksgiving to God. to work and to share. Uh, just think of the joy that overflows of those that we are able to share with and those thanksgiving given to God. I uh, pray that the rest of, this, uh, rest of this week when you have the opportunity to share, give God glory. Uh, hey, let's go for it. That's what we're here for, to be his hands, his feet, to be his voice. And hey, speaking of voices, 
Friday night, we need your voices. We're going to be coming here for a time of worship and prayer. I would love to invite you, um, bring anybody you'd like to do. We're going to have specific times of prayer with some of our elders leading us, and we're going to um, have times of worship, and we're going to record a lot of those songs that the Lord has given this body um, uh, so they can uh, kind of live on in our homes on a new CD that we're going to put out in a few months. So I hope that you'll take time to do that 7 o'clock on Friday night. Let's come in here. Let's worship. Let's go before the Lord. Um, we have a good God, and he, he wants us to ask. He wants us to praise. So we're going to do that together Friday night. So I hope you make plans, and hope you have a great rest of the day, rest of the week. See you next time.